Welcome back to the Burning Phoenix podcast. Hope you're having a great morning, a great day. In this episode, we're going to talk mostly about books and a little bit of uh, an update like catch-ups. But we're going to talk about the book More Than Allegory by philosopher and scientist Bernardo Kastrup. And we're going to talk about the book Age of Utopia by um, historian and college professor John Strickland. And also, just as an early, uh, early announcement, we're going to have an interview with Strickland probably at the end of next week, and then we're going to publish that interview shortly afterwards, so probably by next weekend. And we also, on the little news front, we had uh, we made a video with Tom L.A. Books where we talk about McGilchrist and, uh, and the divided brain, and uh, the title of the video is The Most Important Book of the Century, Human Brain, Asymmetry, Unity, Atheism and Faith, which was like a fantastic uh, conversation to have with Tom, especially because he is now discovering Ian McGilchrist for the first time, and it's so it's just joyful to see how uh, this is a reminder how when we've discovered the book ourselves about four or five years ago that it really changes the way you can see the world and understand yourself, other people, history, culture, and just this endless exploration into re-examining things and aspects of life with this added perspective of being able to detect if it is a balanced approach or or mechanics going on or if there's something left brain excess or something with a lack of a left brain element so that is uh, uh, we're going to put the link to the the video in the description and then we're going to talk now about the book by uh, Kastrup Bernardo Kastrup, More Than Allegory. So what we found very interesting with this one is that he... We don't agree with everything Kastrup says. Some things we strongly disagree with, but we find some other things just super brilliant. So it's a very mix of uh, of constantly being... Um, where it's constantly food for thought, either if we agree with it or if we have a different opinion. But it's very stimulating. And probably the reason for this, from our perspective, is that he is brilliant both on the left brain stuff and the right brain stuff. And he's trying to make this fit together but there's still an ongoing process for him. Maybe because his left brain is so so strong and it's just he's a very like very highly intelligent brilliant person but we wanted to point out one specific passage where he talks about an episode from his childhood which illustrates maybe something about his eternal internal machinery with his brain so he says one of my strongest childhood memories is of a period of a few months during which I slowly accepted the notion that I was separate from the rest of the world. I still remember how weird this notion felt to me at the time. Apparently, I had always only existed inside my own skin. I wasn't and had never been the rest of the world around me. The trees, sky and other people had never been a part of me. How could that possibly be? It violated my most innate intuitions. Yet obviously it was the case, wasn't it? I remember literally getting a cold shiver down my spine every time I thought of it, so alien the idea was. Until one day it didn't feel strange anymore. 
Right there and then, a delusory myth caught hold of me through conditioning. So our own reaction reading this is that uh, we don't relate to this. This is not a part of how childhood, this is not a childhood experience or a memory uh, for, for me personally. But I also disagree with, with what the idea is about, that you are separate from the rest of the world. But then the next sentence, Kostrup says, the delusory myth of personal identity and separateness is at the root of human suffering. It is also at the root of our loss of contact with transcendence. Because this idea that takes hold of him and that he accepts is, according to McGilchrist's research, purely a left brain idea. So what he's describing is that in his young childhood, his left brain starts taking control and dominating his, his, his brain and it captures him into this uh, separated, isolated and depressing world where you are you, you lose contact with other people or you lose contact with the world around you in a sense and also with the transcendence but it's just describing what happens when you get left brain tilted so it's just as uh, an indication perhaps that this is a, a big part of of how it's been for Kostrup to try to manage this internally and then again how early it happened that his left brain started dominating and becoming the master when it should be the servant, which is this overall uh, hypothesis and claim of McGilchrist. So, um, but it's interesting because in other parts of the book, you see how Kostrup can be very much comfortable in his right brain and also then have a much bigger picture. So uh, he's making, we just read the first part of three parts in the book, uh, but he's making a great argument for the the reality of the transcendent and how we can uh, approach the transcendent and how literal sequential language is sometimes not adequate to capture or express the transcendent directly. So that's why we need myth and story and also metaphors. And then that could those could be pointers towards something beyond and then he, he elaborates this in, in very interesting ways. Also, he's using the term religious myth as a different, uh, different genre, in a sense, from just myth. And then the religious myth is those stories that actually connects you to something transcendent. So, um, so far, it's a, it's a highly recommended book for, not because we, again, agree with everything, but because it's really stimulating and food, great food for thought. So that is the part with Kostrup. And then... We want to talk a little bit about uh, John Strickland's books. We just finished rereading The Age of Paradise, which is super interesting as a way of getting familiar with how both Greek Orthodoxy, but also how the first thousand years of Christendom was and the focus, which is more positive, more life-affirming, more like this glowing inner spiritual life and energy now in the living world, as opposed to something that is far away out there uh, in in the heavens or in the afterlife so we finished that and now we're also re reading age of utopia like for the second time uh, both because it's a beautiful book and because it's um, a preparation for having a talk with him because we're going to talk about his new book the age of nihilism about the whole history work of four volumes utopia and paradise but also this crucial moment that happens around the Renaissance, like how things could have gone differently. 
in the sense that if you look at the Renaissance and humanism, especially as a reaction to an overly negative uh, theology or anthropology or cosmology that developed in Rome through the papal reforms, uh, when you have like the mystery of the human condition, and it's it's very much centered upon suffering as opposed to the original Christendom and the Greek Orthodoxy, which is more focused upon the like the resurrection, the the, the victorious spiritual life, and how we can feel your life now when you're living with positive spiritual uh, being and experience. So we're going to look at, when we talk to him, one of the main topics is going to be how could things have gone differently with humanism and Renaissance if they had known more about the original ancient Christendom and also how this might be helpful for us today as an element of a bigger regeneration, rebirth of the culture. So we just wanted to point out uh, one passage here when he talks about uh, fathering humanism. This is in the first chapter. So Strickland says here, Christendom reached a fateful turning during uh, the 14th century. Uh, since the dawn at Pentecost, the civilization had directed its members towards the heavenly transformation of the world. In 1054, however, a parting of the ways occurred when first Rome and then Constantinople excommunicated one another. The Great Schism created two cultural poles, one in the East and one in the West. And this is then the, the Franks with Charlemagne in around 800, and then the Byzantium. So each shared in the cultural heritage of the first millennium, but each developed a very different approach to the transformational imperative. So this is very much at the root of understanding the difference between Eastern and Western Christendom, but also to a large extent, uh, the culture and if you have the presence of of uh, like a spiritual source that is positive and life affirming or if you get this increasing secular society so it's a huge topic but we're going to delve into it and we're going to enjoy talking with Strickland about how we can draw some lessons from this and and how we might apply things also today to just create a more positive outlook and then maybe a trajectory as well. So he mentions here that the Roman Catholic Church formed what can be called a new Christendom. And then it goes again back to that uh, the difference between the imminent experience of the divine and the transcendent in the sense of far away experience of it. So those were the two books we wanted to talk about today. And um, also we, we're using Goodreads. So if anybody wants to to connect with us and if they have some book recommendations or ideas or just want to uh, discuss books in the commentaries then just connect with us at goodreads it's a great place to get inspiration for books input for books and for also connecting with people so we're going to put that in the description as well so with that that was all for this um, saturday episode on february the 4th hope you're still having a great morning or a great day and see you again in the next episode <laughs>